Well, as we begin another episode of the OHL podcast, you have to start wondering if the Peterborough Peets are feeling like it's deja vu all over again at the Memorial Cup. Their 10th trip to the tournament and only one in their first nine times did they come away with the junior hockey trophy uh, in Canada winning that Memorial Cup. So one and eight is the record and things are not looking good as they start this year's tournament. My name is Mike Farwell. Find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. What say you, Dan, about the Pete's road ahead, especially after an absolute drumming 10-2 losing to the host Kamloops Blazers in their second game? Well, this is what happens, right? This, this, we've seen it time and time again, where teams that come in winning their championship in their own league, great teams, all kinds of momentum, don't know what hit them when they get to the Memorial Cup because it's so short. It's in a blink. You draw that schedule like Peter Rowe did as the OHL rep, where you have two games back to back. You don't win the first one, look out because the team's waiting for you on night two. And we've seen it happen a bunch of times. Um, it it can sneak up on you and you you're playing a good team every night and so uh, what I, what say I about their fortunes well I, I don't want to tell the people of Peterborough that my prediction to win the Memorial Cup this year was the Quebec Remparts and that's who they've still got to play so not looking great yeah and when they do play that game against Quebec it is of course a must win now for the Peets who dropped their first game 6-3 to Seattle and their second game 10-2 to the Kamloops Blazers. I was just, I, I took a look back at 2006. Of course, the last time the Peets under Dick Todd were in the Memorial Cup. And it's a similar story. The Peets did win their opening game of that tournament, but then they lost the next two. And in fairness, they lost the next two narrowly by one goal or two goals, but they were one and two through the round robin, had to play a tiebreaker game and got drummed by the Vancouver Giants six to nothing. So the Peets were eliminated and finished one and three on the tournament. Right now, they're staring down that zero and three start if they can't get it together for Quebec. And it's just again, of all those trips to the Memorial Cup, winning the actual championship has been elusive for the Peets, and they have certainly got their work cut out for them now in this tourney. Yeah, and you know it's a great point, Mike, when you talk about the games coming up, where there's pros and cons to a short tournament like this and a three-game round robin. The con we just just discussed where you lose a game get blindsided on night two you feel like you're done the the pro is that one win could get you into that tie get you a tie break get you through so in their next game against Quebec will be playing a Quebec team who's in the same situation having had to play the night before so fortunes turn quickly in tournaments like this we've all been there we've all been there as kids in tournaments we've all been there as adults in tournaments and and that's how tournaments work yeah they turn on a dime and you got to be ready. And I think what we saw from the Kamloops Blazers was they got blitzed in their own barn on night one, had a day off to think about it and thought, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to play at home for the Memorial cup. We're going to be ready for this game. And they were. The difficulty of, or the, the interesting things that can happen within such a short tournament begs the question about whether or not this is the toughest trophy to win. We'll get to that in just a moment, but one more thing, on the Pete's game versus Kamloops. And that, of course, came towards the very end of it when uh, Brennan Offman uh, took, it looked to me like I will call it a, a clean body check. Uh, the player went heavily into the boards, the Kamloops player. And, and you can certainly see from the multiple replays we were afforded that 
there the player fell in a in an awkward and vulnerable way but i certainly wouldn't uh you know hold brennan othman to task here for doing anything dirty by any stretch you never like seeing the a stretcher come out to have to get a player off the ice. I thought it was a nice touch by Othman to come over and give a little word of encouragement, but tough sight to see for my eyes. And I'm not an official, but it didn't look like there's anything egregious here by way of a foul. It's just a hard hockey play. And the guy went into the boards really heavily. Yeah. Well, you nailed it, Mike. You said you never like to see those things. And, and in this case, we're hoping that there isn't anything supplementary for for Othman. But you, when you get a score like this, it's always the risk in these tournaments. And, you know, the emotions are high and no one likes being embarrassed. And 10-2 is certainly embarrassing on a national stage. You've come here with a lot of expectations and a lot of eyes are now on you. have heard a lot about you and this is what they see of you. So that can weigh on their minds. And sometimes things go awry. Uh, decision, poor decisions are made. I don't think this is necessarily one, but... Uh, it's a, a risk in every time you see a game that's a blowout. Speaking of supplementary discipline and, you know, doing things maybe late in games that are already out of hand that may not have been the best decisions, let's go back to the OHL final and Owen Beck, the slew footing penalty and then suspension that he was assessed, suspended for the remainder of the OHL final. And it happened in game five. It ended the OHL final in game six but the league later clarified that the suspension was meant to be two games so Beck however is available to the Peets at the Memorial Cup tournament explain to us Dan how that happens (laughs) well (laughs) I'm still looking for clarification on why this is the case but it turns out that the NHL player safety department governs the Memorial Cup tournament discipline so for whatever reason, that decision was put to them, said this player is suspended for another game. You make the call. And the NHL Player Safety Department said, nope, he's good to play in the Memorial Cup. So the second game of Owen Beck suspension will be served next year in game one of the OHL season. So it's a really peculiar scenario where you have the league, the OHL, who is part of the CHL, playing for the CHL trophy, their rules are superseded by the decision of the NHL player safety department, who really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the CHL from a, from a disciplinary standpoint all year. So it's a really unique, weird setup. Uh, I guess for whatever reason, they have this third party govern this particular tournament and it worked out well for Owen Beck in this case. Wacky idea here, but based on that, and we know that the if it's one thing the NHL has, it's resources, and if it's one thing the OHL does not have, it's resources. Could we just get the NHL Department of Player Safety to oversee all of these things? Maybe send us the occasional video rationale of suspensions and stuff like that. We might we might have the makings of a really good idea here. Uh, yeah, I'll just throw in the caveat though that uh, I'm not sure the NHL player safety is the right moniker based on their the length of the suspensions during the regular season. I think it seems like you could behead someone and get two games um, sometimes with the NHL. So I'm not sure that's the standard junior players want to see and, and junior coaches and parents. But uh, in terms of the structure of doling out the discipline quickly with explanations, absolutely. Um, let's, let's see if we can work something out in the middle ground here. Final point on Beck, just because... I mean, I, I suppose there will be a second game to serve by way of suspension in the OHL next year. But 
just think about the year that he's had. And we talked about this a way back when it was happening to Owen Beck from Mississauga traded to Peterborough. There was a junior uh, junior team development camp in there or training camp tryout in there. Cut. Uh, I think that was when he was sent back to Mississauga. Then he was traded. Uh, then he gets an emergency call up to the Montreal Canadiens who own his rights. Then he's uh, where did he, oh, then he gets called up to the junior team, the national junior team because of an injury. So he plays for the world juniors. I mean, I think we had like six teams inside a month or something like that for Owen Beck. What if he's not back in the OHL next? Like, I think it's possible, isn't it? It's definitely possible. I mean, as, as a, Hab fan, you know I am looking at their roster. There a lot of wacky things had to happen for that call up to happen. You know they had the absolutely ludicrous run of injuries, and just looking at the center depth, which can change over the summer. We know with trades and other things, uh, it would appear to be highly unlikely Owen Beck's going to start the year in Montreal next year. He's not eligible to play in Laval, so it's most likely he's back in the OHL and will serve that game. But Stranger things have happened. The Habs move a player, a center or two over the summer, and maybe he is in their plans. I just can't imagine them keeping a 19-year-old to be uh, a fourth-line center. But if that were the case, uh, I assume that suspension will maybe never be served or maybe sometime in December when he gets returned to the OHL. Who knows? Well, and he can serve that one-game suspension in a Pete's uniform and then promptly be traded by Peterborough as they recoup the assets they spent to go on this title run this year. So... Let's talk about the Memorial Cup and the question inevitably comes up and I think it comes up inevitably because there's a lot of merit to the conversation. Is the Memorial Cup trophy the hardest one to win in sports? As certainly in hockey, there's an argument there. Now, we'll add to the argument that Ron McLean, yes, that Ron McLean, once said that the Schmaltz Cup, which is the Junior C trophy, is the toughest one to win in hockey. But you know, it kind of ties into our previous conversation, Dan, about which is more valuable or which one is worth more, the league championship or the Memorial Cup. And that league championship gets some currency in the argument because you play your 68 regular season games, then you go through four rounds of playoffs against the same teams you were playing against for 68 regular season games. And you you can see what we're talking about. And then, oh yeah, by the way, after those four rounds of playoffs, when you win your league title, now you go off to this round-robin four-team tournament where, as we've already discussed on this episode of the OHL podcast, a lot of different things can come into play. I, I, I can I can buy into the argument that this is the toughest trophy to win. I, I certainly can, too. I don't know of too many other sports trophies where you have to win four grueling series like that against escalating quality of competition and then a final tournament of champions if you will the only little loophole in there of course is there are there is that odd scenario where the host team could sneak in without having gone through the grind and win like we saw with the st john sea dogs last year eliminated early in the playoffs huge layoff came in have a good week and win so so with that little asterisk that it's not i guess not nearly as hard to win if you find that loophole door as the host team but if you're uh, if you take the natural way, I can't imagine any championship is much harder to win than that four seven game series plus a tournament of champions. So if you if you hoist that Memorial Cup, you generally have have come through a war to do it. With the Peterborough Peets having lost both of their first two games at the tournament to Western Hockey League teams in Seattle, the Western Hockey League champion, and Kamloops, of course, the host team. Do you? Do you want to walk back your assertion that the WHL is overrated, Dan Mahar? 
All right. Well, I'm not going to walk back my comments, but I will clarify. And because I never want to be a victim of recency bias with how well Seattle and Kamloops have have done in their first few games, the Memorial Cup. But I do want to clarify that I, I have this general opinion that the WHL is overvalued, overrated in hockey circles. And the reason I say that is uh, example one is Team Canada constantly when they're choosing teams for the world juniors and the u18s it's it's very heavily weighted towards whl seems to be like tie goes to the whl player uh the depth players are rounded out from the whl example two would be memorial cup look at the whl track record in recent years at the memorial cup they have not done very well they certainly are not winning their share and then example three would just be probably the greater one which i believe if you look at any of these teams in the nhl Look at the number of draft picks they've made out of the WHL versus number of core players on their team from the WHL. It seems to me like the quote unquote bust rate seems to be significantly higher from WHL players. And you look at the core core of teams, there's a lot of a lot of OHLers who are representing the OHL podcast here, an awful lot of them, much higher proportion that play key roles. And and I'm I'm not slamming the WHL. I know it's a great league. Uh, I'm just saying I believe that it's slightly overrated in in the outlook of hockey people in general. That may tie in nicely to something else we wanted to talk about this week on the OHL podcast, which is how perhaps overrepresented the Ontario Hockey League is in the Stanley Cup semifinals and soon to be finals. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but let me just go back to the first point you made about this, maybe perhaps this WHL bias. Do you think it has anything to do with Hockey Canada being headquartered in Calgary? I mean, come on. I mean, it must have something to do with it. Oh, I think it absolutely has to. And even if it's an unconscious bias, and we, we hear a lot these days about these unconscious biases that we all hold and we have them. And I think we'd be naive to not think they exist in things like this. And when you're centered in Calgary, and all your staff are in Calgary, your meetings are in Calgary, you can't help but be more attuned to what's occurring in your own backyard. And your the games you get to see generally will be WHL games. The the people you talk to are people that reside in that in that region. So I think those people are those players are really high on your radar. You you know the depth players a little more. And uh not to pick on anyone, but I give a great example would be Colton Dock this year made the world junior team for Team Canada. Is a third line player on Seattle, and and Seattle is a stacked team. They're a great team. You will never see a third line OHL or a third line Quebec League player make Team Canada because they're not on the radar. So I think you're right, Mike. That that bias about being in Western Canadian, uh, Western Canadian based organization has got to be there to some extent. We might have. It's possible as, as many as almost two dozen former OHLers in the Stanley Cup final this year. That's unlikely unless Dallas can complete a historic comeback versus Vegas but still plenty of OHL representation and of course we have to spend a moment talking about that for me Dan even before we go to who's on the ice I, I just got to give a nod to to Paul Maurice, and there are so many connections to Paul Maurice and other OHL connections that are still playing in the National Hockey League playoffs. But Paul Maurice, a former Windsor Spitfire, uh, coached there, coached with the Detroit CompuWare uh, program in the OHL before moving on to Hartford in the National Hockey League and on from there. But I, I don't know what we can say 
about the job that he has done with the Florida Panthers this year. Yeah, and I'll be the first to admit that I haven't always been the biggest fan of Paul Maurice at times. I felt the system he had in Winnipeg was pretty loosey-goosey, and that defensive zone was a mess at times. Uh, it's a lot of struggles since winning that kind of Destiny Cup for Carolina in 2006, and was starting to question you know, how, how competent he was at this time of year, um, but he's certainly proving me wrong now because... The track record, like you said, in the OHL in the in previous years was was terrific, and what we're seeing of that Florida team right now is a team that just competes, competes, competes every night. And you're you're dialing it back to basically January when they had to go into to desperation mode. So that's a team that's basically been playing it for four to five months now every night. And anytime a coach can get the team to do that, you have to tip your cap to him. Seen as a, a bit of a mentor to Dallas Stars head coach uh, Pete DeBoer, and of course DeBoer along with Spot there in Dallas. But there's that parallel or or connection back to the Ontario Hockey League. And then after DeBoer and Spot had left Kitchener, anytime there's a coaching vacancy, Paul Maurice's name, especially after he suddenly walked away from Winnipeg, comes up in rumors. I'm trying to remember. Is it a a cousin, a nephew, a brother, but there's some Paul Maurice family connection working either at the hospital in Kitchener or nearby. Anyway, uh, that's what the the uh, people that really are trying to connect dots to make cool stories start talking about, oh, Paul Maurice coming back to the OHL to coach the Kitchener Rangers. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I, didn't, I never thought it would before, but the stories are kind of fun. And by the way, should we just make a note? There is, I mean, I, I don't love getting into rumors a whole lot, but while we're talking about coaches, there is a rumor out there du jour about perhaps uh, the Kitchener Rangers taking a look at a former coach with the U.S. National Development Team program as a possibility for a new head boss uh, behind the bench in Kitchener. Yeah, we saw a few rumors floated this week from USHL Green Bay Gamblers head coach and GM Mike Leone as a, as a name being floated and uh, rumors are rumors don't have a lot of verification people can throw names out there we don't know the sources but uh historically these rumors emanating out of the the u.s u.s junior loops and whatnot have had some sort of uh, viability to them because they're not invented out of uh thin blue air when when you have a league that you have nothing to do with uh, th- these names come up so i would suggest it might mean he's at least been considered or possibly interviewed in kitchener and uh Certainly an interesting resume there that that he's built, like you mentioned, with the U.S. National Team Development Program, the U18 team as an assistant coach, and even some time in the ECHL. So certainly seems to have a, a reasonable resume, to say the least, and uh, an interesting name that was kind of off the radar popping up in the rumor mill for the OHL. So like we said, we don't love to spend a whole lot of time in rumors, but it just made sense when we were talking about coaching. This, of course, all started by talking about OHL ties to the teams remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So along with Paul Maurice in Florida, let me see if I've got this counted out right. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Sam Bennett, Nick Cousins, the Stahl brothers, uh, Eric and Mark. Uh, Let me see. Matthew Kachuk, uh, Verhage, and Aaron Ekblad. And then Giovanni Smith and Connor Bunneman, both on the Florida roster. So another two. OHLers there uh, well represented is the Ontario Hockey League in Florida and I, I don't know about you Dan but the story for the Panthers may begin and end with Matthew Kachuk in these playoffs he's been incredible 
Well, yeah. I mean, the, look at the names you just listed off, and we'll add Paul Maurice to that as their head coach. Pretty much everyone playing a key role. If you look at who who has been, aside from Bobrovsky between the pipes, Matthew Kachuk has been con Smythe-worthy, dragging that team into every fight, an OHL player. Sam Bennett had a couple critical goals. Carter Verhege had over 40 goals for them there this year. But look at it, the minutes Aaron Ekblad logging on D as their number one defenseman out there. These are all not just OHLers, Mike. They're playing absolutely central roles to the Stanley Cup run for that Florida Panther team. So again, just a feather in the cap for the league. If you want, uh, if you want to look at your best course to the pros, I mean, these are just the OHL is well represented. Just to go back to your earlier point on perhaps some recency bias around the Western Hockey League with Hockey Canada, and you know, uh, a, a great point you made on Colby Doc as a third liner in Seattle you'd never find that from the O or the Q because they don't get those that many looks when you mention Aaron Ekblad anytime I talk about him I'm always willing to cop to one of my most grave errors in judgment in watching the Ontario Hockey League now again remember I work in the Western Conference West and East meet two times per season once in each city anyway the first time I saw Aaron Ekblad, who you'll remember was one of the exceptional players in the Ontario Hockey League. I saw him playing for the Barry Colts. Obviously, that's who he played for. But I, I just watched the game and thought, how is this guy an exceptional player? And clearly, Aaron Ekblad has shown me time and again since then. So one time, one viewing, it's just not enough. Maybe he was had an off night. Maybe he had the flu. I don't know. Admittedly, he wasn't that great. Maybe my eyes weren't that great. But one viewing will never tell you the whole story about anybody, says Captain Obvious over here. Well, you're singing my tune, Mike, because that's one of the things I always preach to people is do not go by one or two viewings. And it's like you see these players that have a good World Junior Tournament shoot up the draft rankings and it always makes me nervous. And and you see this time and time again. And 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 from an OHL standpoint, Mike, I'll, sh- I'll share this too, because I don't want to pick on the guy. He ended up having a great career. He was a great player. But Alex Henry's first game as a London Knight might be the worst game I've ever seen an OHL player have. <laughs> Just awful. Just look, looked completely out of his depth in every possible way and went on to captain that team, pro career, terrific player. Had you only watched that game, you'd be saying some of the things that that we're talking about right now. So please, please, please watch these players a number of times before we pass judgment. So this podcast, I think, will be tremendously disappointed if we don't get a Dallas-Florida final just because of the OHL representation. If we leave Giovanni Smith and Connor Bunneman in the conversation and add Paul Maurice, obviously, as the coach, that's 10 OHLers on the Florida roster. If we look at Dallas, who have I got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, plus the two coaches, DeBoer and Spot, we're up to 11. So there could be 21 we don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but let's just run them down. Ty Delandria, Max Domi, Radic Faxa, Wyatt Johnston, Tyler Sagan, Mason Marchment, Jason Robertson, Thomas Harley, and then Colin Miller in there as well, all playing in front of Steve Spott and Pete DeBoer. Well, Dallas is an OHL hotbed. We know they've had a heavy scouting presence in the OHL and obviously paying off pretty well for them in the uh, semifinals for the Stanley Cup right now. And this is going to be a cheap shot, I know. But they were down 3 nothing to the Vegas Golden Knights, lost their WHL captain for two games of suspension, and won both those on the heroics of Ty Delandria from the OHL. I know, total total cheap shot at the WHL, but I'm just saying the OHL extremely well represented there and, of course, playing critical roles as they often do. 
if anybody is uh, is industrious enough to start the WHL podcast anywhere from Manitoba West, there's going to be beef between these two pods pretty soon. If you keep this up, Dansky. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And now my point was not to slam the WHL, it's to pump up the OHL because I believe it doesn't get its due. And I believe there's a lot of great players here that probably should have played for Team Canada that didn't get that shot. Well, and and the roots in Dallas go even further, of course, when you add Joe McDonnell to the mix. Now, anybody who's followed the pro game will know that Joe McDonnell won four, count them, four Stanley Cups with the Detroit Red Wings as their director of scouting. He was working there with a fellow by the name of Jim Nill. When Jim left Detroit to go to Dallas, Joe McDonnell said, uh, yep. I'm coming with you. And anybody in Kitchener will know Joe McDonnell, not only as a former player, born and raised, he's a Kitchener native, but played for the Rangers, then came back and coached the Kitchener Rangers in the arguably the best era the team had before Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott came along about half a decade to a decade later. So Joe McDonnell has some pretty deep ties into the Ontario Hockey League himself. Yeah, and one could argue that his ties to the OHL give him an OHL bias. That's why he really pumps the tires of players for the draft. But it's hard to look at that roster you just rhymed off, Mike, and, and argue with any of the picks he made. Looking like a genius for Wyatt Johnson being there and and some of these players that they've brought in. So the OHL is paying off for them, but he knows the league. When he played in the league, Joe McDonnell was the captain of the Kitchener Rangers until a fellow named Brian Bellows came along and it was around Christmas time of that year when Joe Mack was the captain of the Rangers that Orville Tessier, the coach stripped McDonnell of the sea and gave it to Brian Bellows, who was a young hotshot. Not that he was a hot dog, but up and coming rising star. Everybody knows what Brian Bellows could do in the O and beyond. And the Kitchener Rangers went on that year. This was the 80, 81 year. They went on to win the Ontario Hockey League title that year, knocking off the Sioux. That was back in the man the 80s, the Rangers and the Sioux Greyhounds. My goodness gracious, those were some good series. Anyway, Joe Mack said on this podcast, with the perspective, you know, of and the maturity that comes with age, the wisdom that comes with age, that looked at obviously at the time, it was incredibly difficult to have that happen. But Looking back, he understood it, and he even ended up doing some long, you know how it is for scouts, right? Long scouting trips in the same car as Orville Tessier, the guy that stripped him of the captaincy, and they would kind of still laugh about it years later. At least they were laughing then, because I'm sure it was no laughing matter for Joe McDonnell at the time. It's a good lesson, though, for anyone in that situation now as a junior hockey player or a young person in this game is that you can have... Your attitude can go two ways on these things. Uh, you can hold grudges and not take accountability, or you can learn from them. And clearly Joe McDonnell's guy that learned from them didn't hold any grudges against the the coach or the franchise that, that made that decision back in that time, came back and had a wonderful run of success with that team and has had under the radar, one of the most successful careers in hockey you could have, you could have. So probably had the right attitude about, you know, this is a learning opportunity see taken off my jersey learn from it not to be overlooked although they just have so few former ohlers certainly based on the other teams but impact guys uh we've got with vegas nick hag alex petrangelo and then amadio in there as well so three on the ice and let's not forget george mcphee uh the president of hockey operations with vegas and a former 
Guelph holiday plater. So there you go. Connection to the OHL for George too. Yeah. And I could even throw in uh, a brief stint in the OHL for Paul Cotter as well. So there's, it doesn't matter where you look in the NHL, you've got a flavor of OHL there and pretty heavy flavor of OHL on some of these successful teams. I recall, again, a conversation that we had on this podcast with Mike Fuda, obviously a former coach and GM in Owen Sound who went on to the LA Kings. And a lot of people will tell you, like you look at that LA Kings team, the one that won the cup, was it 10 or 11, 2010? Anyway, uh, not long after Fuda left the Ontario Hockey League, though. And I remember talking to him about it because that Kings team had such a strong OHL contingent. And he said, that was not an accident. We built it that way by design. Absolutely. Mike. Well, Mike Fuda, again, uh, similar to Joe McDonnell, had a tremendously successful career starting in the OHL and moving beyond there. And yeah, like you name it, like Drew Doughty, yeah, you talk about Tyler Toffoli, all these guys that he's brought in for the OHL. Right now, they're writing on Sean Dursey, who's a guy that was under the radar in, in his draft year, playing a prominent role for LA now. And you can go down the list of all the LA Kings players over the years that have come from the OHL, but they're another team that has leaned heavily on the OHL because they know. Speaking of the OHL, maybe we should send this episode to the league offices. They could use this as a recruiting tool. I mean, all of a sudden, we've made the OHL the the king of the three-headed trio here with the Q, the O, and the dub. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm i a big believer in it. It's partly why I love doing this podcast. I'm a big believer in this league. I think that if you have success in the OHL, you're on a really good path to having success beyond the OHL, and that's not the case of all these prep leagues. It's It's a top of the heap uh prep league and regardless of of what we might say about through the years and criticize various things about the way it, it's it operates it is a great league and it's a great preparatory league that, that makes me think of speaking of success your cousin had tremendous success in the national hockey league but correct me if i'm wrong i don't think i have this wrong right he didn't come through the ohl that's right? correct he was yeah. a boston university kid that's what I thought. I bring that up, Dan, because listen, if if you if if your credibility has not yet been established, it may well be established with our feature guest on Friday on this podcast, because our feature guest on Friday used to work in the league offices. He's now doing some really cool stuff to celebrate the game that you and I both love. However, he hails from the Quinty region. He calls Belleville home to this day. And among the families that he talks about having a tremendous impact on hockey in the community, obviously you've got the Crawford family and oh yeah, he even drops a mention without being prompted of the Mahar family <laughs> as well. So I, you might be Dan and, and the rest of your family might be the only person listening to Friday's episode, but I think you're going to enjoy the inside view from this guy that joins us. Yes, and if it's who I think it is, he he's he's got some connections to the uh, to the Mahar family, but he has some wonderful stories and background as well. So I'm really looking forward to that one. All right, we are going to keep this up, of course, until the NHL draft is done, and follow the OHLers through that. Obviously, we're following the OHLers through the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we've got a Memorial Cup that is only in through its first weekend. So who knows who will be crowned a national junior hockey champion here in Canada this year? We'll stay with these storylines and you hopefully will stay with us as we continue with the OHL podcast. Send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Give us a like, subscribe, and tell a friend about it too because we'd love to have them along. 
He is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Thanks for joining us on the OHL podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.